Hi everyone. Welcome to the Desi Crime Podcast. I'm Ishwarya, your host for this episode, and I'm Aryan. Before we start the case for today, we want all of you to go over to our Patreon and subscribe to support the podcast. To help the podcast out and to avail all of Patreon's benefits, go to www.patreon.com/desicrime and select a tier that works best for you. And thank you so much for any contributions you make in helping run this podcast. Love triangles, a concept in existence for as long as love itself. But love triangles unlike love are controversial. They're viewed as scandalous, calculated and deceptive. Perhaps that's because we never hear of happy, successful love triangles. We hear of ones where jealousy, competition, ego and possessiveness take over only to end in a tale of crime and disaster. This is the story of one such disastrous love triangle that kept India on its toes and destroyed three lives. This is the story of Neeraj Grover, Maria Suzeraj and Lieutenant Emil Jerome Matthew. All right, Aran, so we were supposed to have an episode last week. Do you want to tell our listeners what happened? What's going on? They were all kind of losing it online on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. It's as if Saturday never occurred last week. It was erased from the calendar because uh, the <laughs> ritual, the Desi crime ritual of Saturday was a miss. No, so why we didn't have an episode last week, it's actually a good reason if you guys are willing to believe that. We are working on a sort of original investigation at Desi Crime where we are working on this one particular case and I'm not going to disclose too much where we are interviewing folks related to the case and sort of some scheduling things um, when it came to interviewing friends of the murderer and the victim we had to change the dates last minute but that's the case you're going to listen next week so next week you're going to find out why exactly we had to delay and what this investigation is all about but um, yeah, apologies and uh, hope you look forward to it. Yeah, so Aryan told me what the case is about and then told me not to look anything up related to the case. So the crime junkie in me is, is it's kind of antsy and I'm kind of losing yeah. it. So I, I'm as excited for next week as I'm sure everyone else is. Yeah, yeah. All right, Aran, so what do you know about this case, if anything at all? Do you have any thoughts whatsoever on love triangles? Um, I, is it okay if all parties consent? Do you think it's a healthy way of going about a relationship? Give us your thoughts. I'm not going to make this podcast about my thoughts on polyamory because that's <laughs> sure. going to be a 40-minute episode in and of itself. But the name Neeraj Grover and Lieutenant Matthew, by the virtue of... I, I, just I vaguely remember a movie with Akshay Kumar on this, if I'm not incorrect. There is a movie. I don't know if it's Akshay Kumar or not, but there is a movie, yes. It's called Not a Love Story. I don't know if that's... And this is one of those 
pivotal cases in the Indian judiciary which oh. changed some laws as well. Interestingly enough you all this is exactly probably the thought you'll have Aran is confusing this case for the case of Colonel KM Nanavati Ah uh, yes 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 well there are similar cases but so not sure. quite yeah, that was a love triangle right that was i mean it kind was, of a, yeah yeah so uh-huh. well that's a long answer to your question no i don't know anything about this case <laughs> clearly <laughs> <laughs> right okay i got you so i guess let's get into it so this episode begins on the 6th of may 2008 the day a big name in india's television industry just vanished 25 year old neeraj grover now neeraj grover wasn't a big name in the same way that actors and actresses are grover was the creative head of a huge mumbai based production house called adlabs synergy and was famous for his work on huge projects as a television executive if any of you ever watched kya paathvi paas se tez hain hosted by shahrukh khan neeraj grover was the executive producer of the show he was actually like aryan a native of kanpur in uttar pradesh let's and go. had moved to noida let's to go noida oh from, my god let's go yep amity university yes and then to mumbai to make it big in the creative space like hundreds of thousands of indians but now on the 6th of may he was missing on this day grover was in his apartment at a complex called seven bungalows which he shared with his two friends and a cousin having dinner at around 9:30 pm when he got a call on the other end of the call was a woman named maria suzerard neeraj's friend Maria was calling because she had just shifted to the Dheeraj Solitaire building in Malad and she needed Neeraj's help in setting up her new apartment. Not tonight, I have an early morning meeting. I'll stay at home, Neeraj said before cutting the call and continuing dinner. At 9:55 p.m. his phone rang again. It was Maria again asking him to come over again. Babe, really let it be. I've just started my dinner said Neeraj before a long pause. He then cut the call, looked at his friends and said, "She's calling me. I have to go. At least finish your food," his friend clapped back. "Paaji," he snapped his fingers, "main bas abhi gaya aur abhi aaya. I'll be back before you know it." Now for those of you that actually have this case tickle your fancy like it did mine, I would like to thank a major source for this episode. A book titled Death in Mumbai a true story by the author Meenal Bhagel all of the dialogues a lot of the conversation that is verbatim in quotes in this episode comes from that book so anyway neeraj had just left his late night 9:50 pm dinner to go help maria a friend but maria wasn't just some casual friend to neeraj the two had actually become kind of close They had met when Maria had come to Mumbai leaving behind her family in Mysore trying to make a mark as an actress. Neeraj had offered Maria an audition but Maria's command over Hindi and Sanskrit needed some work. So even though Neeraj couldn't offer her a role in that moment the two started a friendship. Part of this friendship dynamic still involved Neeraj finding Maria a job with his former employer Balaji Telefilms founded by Ekta Kapoor. and the production house behind films like the dirty picture and once upon a time in mumbai but there was still seemingly a real friendship between the two 
In fact, when Maria couldn't find herself a permanent place to stay, she had stayed with Neeraj in his apartment for a while. Neeraj sounds like a sweet man just helping a woman out. And you know, maybe he was, but he was also known to be kind of a player. He was a young man living in a beautiful city with a career that would probably have him surrounded by beautiful women all the time. And Neeraj wasn't complaining. His friend Deepak Kumar came forward to say, quote, Neeraj could easily switch from one woman to another without wasting his emotions. Kumar remembers saying to Neeraj once, quote, Mere hisse ki ladkiyan bhi tumhare hisse mein rehti hain. Or, your lot includes my share of women too. <laughs> In fact, his former employer Ekta Kapoor said, quote, He was seemingly sweet, but the boy liked to play dangerous games. During his five-month stay at Balaji, Neeraj was involved in successive relationships with three of his colleagues. He wriggled out of one of them by telling the woman that being with her was making him forget a former girlfriend who had died, which in turn made him feel unfaithful. Later, we found out he had a dog who had died, but never a girlfriend. He was seemingly sweet, but the boy liked to play dangerous games, she remarked. He often hit on women whom he knew to be already involved. It was some kind of sexual power trip for him, and many guys hated him for that. End quote. Now, Aran, let's get your opinion on this, if not polyamory. <laughs> what are your thoughts on men and women being friends? Do you think feelings are always involved, at least by one party, or not? Do you think they can be perfectly platonic male-female friendships? What do you think? Um... You know, as I've grown up and as we've matured as adults, I've come to realize that men and women can be just friends and very good friends. I do think that those relationships are rarer because mm. of the sexual undertones and emotional undertones. But, you know, really good female friends of mine, there is this, you know, fun flirtation that happens, but it's we know it's so friendly and to me, they're like they're sisters and I'm like a brother. So we can't even conceive of the idea of being with each other in any other regard. So I think it is mm -hmm. possible, very possible to be friends with the opposite gender if you're attracted to them. And, um, you, you know, you should have uh, guys, I think, especially should have feminine friends in their life. Oh, definitely. I agree. No, men without female friends are kind of out of touch with yeah. an entire ability to. Yeah, no, I definitely yeah. agree. But you're right. It is it is a rarer form of equation between the two sexes mm -hmm. um what if you were maria's boyfriend does this friendship seem normal to you like you said it's a rarer form of friendship to be completely platonic again i don't know why <laughs> this podcast is turning out to be um, my thoughts on possessiveness or not and um, i don't want to get into that because that's a 40 minute conversation I didn't know it was going to be a 40-minute conversation. No, no, no. But I would say that I would definitely be... Yeah, I'm not a saint, okay? I would definitely be... To me, it, it would be weird and I would be... So mm. my antenna would be up. But depending on my relationship mm. with my girlfriend, I would be confident. But it really depends on my equation with uh, Maria. And unfortunately, Maria is not my girlfriend. And so... <laughs> I lay, lay here single. <laughs> Unfortunately or fortunately. I think yeah, we'll find, find out. out. This episode. Yeah. But, you guys, we actually don't have to imagine Aryan dating Maria because Maria <laughs> already had a boyfriend and this boyfriend had his own thoughts on Neeraj. This boyfriend was naval officer Lieutenant Emil Jerome Matthew. Matthew also belonged to Mysore and was a man with a commanding presence and a very bright future serving his country in the Navy. 
In the book Death in Mumbai, the author Meenal Bhagel writes, "Quote: He was a triathlete, achieved good grades with practiced ease, did cross-country running, water skiing, and sailing, but saved his best efforts for swimming." He would swim up to 10 kilometers without a break, often participating in endurance swimming competitions organized at the National Defense Academy at Khadakwasla and winning the blazer. If there was one word to capture Emil's personality, I'd say he was a stud. End quote. He had completed the Naval Engineer's course in 2000 and was then sent to Goa for six months. And this was normal because from the nature of his job, he and Maria spent a significant amount of time apart from each other. But to the world outside, despite the distance, it seemed like the couple managed just fine because of how crazily they loved each other. Matthew came from a well-off family. He was good-looking, he was intelligent and capable. And then he had seemingly found himself the perfect girlfriend in Maria. The two went to the same high school where Maria was Matthew's senior and the two had started dating back then itself. The two then got engaged, with some reports even suggesting that they were about to get married within the next few months. But Maria's equation with Neeraj was problematic to Matthew. Perhaps added to all of this was the fact that Matthew never saw Neeraj and Maria be friends. He only ever heard of this man named Neeraj that was helping his girlfriend move and offering her his house to stay in and trying to help make her big in films and television. This was because Matthew was posted in Kochi at the time that Maria and Neeraj developed this friendship. Maria had also told Matthew that she thought that Neeraj had a crush on her, but obviously she didn't reciprocate those feelings. Even Neeraj's own friends, who've called him a flirt by every standard, claimed that they could see how much Neeraj liked Maria. All this information unsettled Matthew and made him even more jealous. Very, very jealous. Maybe more jealous than it should have made any normal person, because Matthew was known for having problems with his temper. In fact, Matthew's childhood friend Vinay Kumar said in an interview, quote, A whole group of boys from our school once convinced me to shut Matthew's eyes as he returned from a water break. But such was his fury as I held him that I could feel his body shivering with the force of his anger, end quote. So, if you can realize, there's like a weird intermingling of different kind of personalities going on. One is Neeraj, who is described by many as a flirt. Then there is Matthew, a possessive, seemingly conservative man, which many say have anger issues. And then there's a woman like Maria, a beautiful to-be actress in a city like Mumbai, who's known for having exclusively male friends and never really getting along with women. And it's this really interesting clash of three completely different kinds of personalities which leads us down this case. Now, as Matthew continued to manage his work, his long-distance relationship, and his new brewing jealousy against Maria and Neeraj, on the 6th of May, after receiving that call from Maria and going over to her apartment at around 10pm, Neeraj just disappeared. The watchman outside of Maria's building, a man named Kundan Jha, had watched Neeraj go into the building, but he didn't see him come out. All Kundanja saw was a different man at the gate the next morning at 7.30 a.m. wanting to go meet Maria. Kundan asked this man to make an entry in the book, you know, the name, date, time register. But this man refused. I'm her cousin, he kept repeating. Par naam kya hai? What's your name? The watchman asked. The man didn't budge, eventually wearing the watchman down and entering the building without making an entry. 
This was obviously fishy to Kundan, but just a few hours later, at 12.30 p.m., he saw Maria exit the building and she looked just fine. So Kundan assumed all was well. If you were going in with some malicious intent, you know, just give a fake mm-hmm. name, a fake number and be... Uh, I know, you look more fishy. <laughs> exactly, you look more fishy. I, I would rather be as inconspicuous as possible um, while trying to no, commit. So by, you know, having an argument with the guard, you're definitely etched in his memory for the... For at least a week. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I agree. I don't know what the point of this move was. And we'll discuss it later on in the episode. But yeah, it seems off. There were easier ways to do this. So Kundan just lets this man go, eventually sees Maria exit the building and assumes all was well. What Kundan didn't notice were the bite marks all over Maria's arms and chest and the slash marks on her wrist. They were the first sign of what had gone down in Maria's apartment between 10pm the night before when Neeraj arrived and 12.30pm when Kundan saw her leave the building. By this point, Neeraj was missing. His friends and cousin that shared a house with him tried to call him, but nobody answered. His phone was ringing, it wasn't switched off, just nobody answered. His parents in Kanpur were a little worried too. Not terribly worried just yet. Maybe their son had a late night and slept in until late. Surely he'll pick up soon, they must have thought. It wasn't like Neeraj to not talk to his parents, especially his mom. The two spoke twice a day, every day, once at 10am and then once at 11pm. Today, Neeraj had missed his 10am call. No matter how many times his mom, Neelam Grover, called him, nobody answered the phone. Neelam then called her daughter, Neeraj's sister, and told her that Neeraj wasn't taking her call. Neeraj's sister immediately called her cousin, the one that lived with Neeraj in the same apartment, and the cousin told her that Neeraj hadn't come home all night. There was no sign of him anywhere. Neeraj's parents called him a total of 130 times that day, and 129 of those went unanswered. A little simple arithmetic there, but uh, that leaves one (laughs) answered call. Who answered it? So, you see, Aran, one of the calls made by Neeraj's parents to his phone that day on the 7th of May, between 4 and 5 p.m. after he disappeared, was picked up. His mom felt a second of relief. Guinea, hello, Guinea, can you hear me? Guinea, hello. She screamed out to the phone, but nobody answered. Guinea is what she called Neeraj affectionately. But from the other side of the phone, she didn't hear her son's voice. She just heard random muffles and people talking in the distance. Guinea, she screamed one last time, but nothing again. And then the call got cut. Was Neeraj alive, but in trouble? Had he just picked up or did someone else find his phone somewhere? Nobody knew. Finally, when 24 hours had passed after Neeraj had left his Mumbai home and vanished, his family and friends filed a missing persons report with the Mumbai police. A day after that, Neeraj's parents landed in Mumbai, the city that their son had asked them to move to once he made it big in the film industry. But now their son was missing and the couple made their way from the airport to the police station to meet with the inspector in charge. Now, whoever this police inspector was that the family initially met, the family didn't like the speed with which the investigation was going under him. 
And so, someone recommended to Neeraj's father to instead speak with Mumbai Police's brightest inspector uh. for help. <laughs> inspector Rakesh Maria, head of the Mumbai Crime Branch. Now, Aran, do you remember Inspector Rakesh Maria? I mean, I hope you all remember Inspector Rakesh Maria. How can I not? How can you not remember Mumbai's OG top cop? Rakesh Maria, the guy responsible for Rani Mukherjee and Sheena Bora and even Sanjay Dutt's case, I think. Yes, exactly. It was Inspector Rakesh Maria responsible for handling the Mumbai blasts, the Sanjay Dutt terrorism and arms case, uh, the Sheena Bora Indrani Mukherjee case. And here again is Inspector Rakesh Maria at another high-profile case. At the Malad police station, Neeraj's parents met Inspector Rakesh Maria and Neeraj's friends and flatmates, all of whom were meeting with the police to recount their version of when they last saw Neeraj. It was at this meeting in the police station that Neeraj's parents realized that the last time their son had been seen was at the house of a girl named Maria Suzeraj. She lives close by. She had called Neeraj at night to help her shift, said one of Neeraj's friends. Let's go to her house then. I'd like to meet and talk to her, said Neeraj's father. When Neeraj's parents and friends arrived at Maria's apartment, what jumped out at them as most of was how empty the apartment looked. It was completely empty. No furniture, no boxes, nothing. Neeraj's father admits to wondering how strange this was at the moment. She had asked Neeraj to come over to help her move her stuff after all. Where was the stuff? Something else that stood out as weird to Neeraj's friends was a freshly painted wall in the house with the paint still wet. Painting jobs inside houses are usually to be finished before tenants move in. It had been a few days since Maria moved in. Why was the paint still wet? Weird, he thought. As Neeraj's parents asked Maria what her last interaction with Neeraj was and what she knew about his whereabouts, she started crying hysterically. As everyone tried to console her, suddenly a man came out from one of the rooms in the house. Ah, uh, this is Emil, my fiancé, Maria said between her sobs. Oh, what a what a tough thing to figure out who that man that showed up in the morning that the security guard was pestering was. I, I Only God knows, <laughs> right? We could never figure it out. Aryan, your sarcastic spidey senses are working perfectly as usual. I hope everyone knows who that man was that showed up in the morning. But for those of you that don't, we'll clear that mystery up very quickly. So now it's been a few days. It's the 13th of May and the investigation had been transferred to Inspector Rakesh Maria when a group of Neeraj's friends, including Maria Suzeraj, came to visit the inspector to demand a quicker investigation. As Inspector Rakesh Maria sat face to face with Maria, he said something about her eyes bothered him. What's your name? He asked her. Maria Suzeraj. I'm also a friend of Neeraj's, she responded. I know. He disappeared from your house. You, lady, are my number one suspect. End quote. And with that sentence, Inspector Maria began his deep dive into the story of Maria Suzeraj and her connections to Neeraj's disappearance. Guys, yeah, even I, I, I can understand the confusion, but it's Inspector Maria and Maria. Okay, so they're... There are two different Marias right. and Maria. Yeah. It's spelled suspect, homonyms. Maria. Homonyms, right? That's what it's homonyms, called, Ashwarya? Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Yes, some, yes, it is. Some middle school grammar, you know. 
or right now that we clear on the difference between the inspector the investigating officer and the prime suspect in this case let's move on while inspector maria was investigating maria neeraj's father was distributing missing persons posters visiting mortuaries and hospitals calling the osho ashram in pune all to ask if his son was there and while all of this was happening inspector maria and his team were interrogating maria for 10 hours on her 28th birthday during the investigation maria tells the police the same story that neeraj had come to her house at 10:30 pm on the night of the 6th to help her move her stuff at her place he ordered food from the sai sagar hotel a detail corroborated by maria's apartment guard kundan cha because the delivery driver had signed at the gate After having food and talking to his mother however Neeraj got a lot of calls on his phone from some of his friends asking him to come over one of them even saying aa jao naya maal aaya hai or come over fresh stuff is here basically alluding to drugs and so at around 1:30 am Neeraj left Maria's apartment but forgot his phone in Maria's apartment when the police interrogated Emil he said he came over to Maria's apartment at 7:30 straight from the airport Aran Spidey senses guested you all guested when he arrived there Neeraj wasn't in the apartment Maria was alone in the flat and he's never seen Neeraj Rover the police asked Camille what he was doing in Mumbai and he said he had arrived for naval training a claim that the police actually never corroborated at the time So from this initial interrogation of Maria it seemed weird to the police that a man like Neeraj described by many as deeply sociable and a stud forgot his phone at Maria's place but didn't even try once to get it back if he was actually going to a different friend's place like he said he was or like Maria said he was he could have used any of their phones to call his phone back or call Maria back to ask to pick up his phone some other time but he did not weird thought the cops The police also noticed the bite marks all over Maria's arms and chests and the slash marks on her wrist the same marks that first appeared the morning that Emil came over to Maria's apartment The police ask her how she got the marks and she says she and Emil got romantic since he had come over after being away from her for a while which led to the bite marks Interesting interesting very yes, I mean she wasn't coy yeah, at all Yeah yeah very very uh, very plausible explanation Uh-huh uh-huh and even more plausible she said she got the slashes on her wrists from a cooking accident which also weird Hey just commit to your theory of you know rough love making if you have to just go full on BDL why do you slash yeah bl- blame her. the slash marks also on something very romantic why why, why stop yourself halfway commit to your theory <laughs> Good to know what theory Aryan would pick in the event that he was. I would pick neither because I wouldn't be in such a situation. But <laughs> right, the police. No, I agree. There were simpler things to say other than this. The police thought this was exceedingly weird. They claim to have thought that you know we're all married too. We're all in love with our wives. Yet something about <laughs> these marks on Maria was weird. This was actually said by the police officer that you know we're all married, but this was kind of imagine weird. the officers going back and thinking, are we not loving our wives correctly? Like, are we? <laughs> how do we have any shortcomings? <laughs> No, I'm sure they thought the exact opposite. They were like, "Something is going wrong I know, I know, here. Something is fishy." That's exactly what they thought. 
Now, Aran, because even though all of this was really, really weird, the police actually had no concrete evidence against Maria. So they had to let her go. But they kept calling her to the police station over and over again for 10 days straight. Rakesh Maria turned his interrogation into something unique, just like all of his other past interrogations. During the 1993 blast interrogations, for example, Rakesh Maria was known to offer suspects kilos worth of jalebis and then refusing to offer them any water afterwards. It was his own unique form of psychological torture. With Maria, the inspector discussed her likes, dislikes and favourite books. He let her move around the room and pick up phone calls just so he could study her body language. Nothing was barred from that room. She exuded overconfidence, the inspector said later on. From their investigation of Neeraj's friends, they realised that Maria was most likely cheating on a meal with Neeraj. A few friends claimed to know that the two had slept together while many others had noticed their public display of affection in restaurants and bars. The police knew that they were on the right track. They just had to keep trying harder. A different inspector also in the case, Inspector Rao Rane, employed his favourite tactic on Maria. He called her into the police station day after day after day and asked her one single question. What she thought happened to Neeraj. I love that. I know, so cool. Aran, he would ask her to lay out every possible scenario of what she thought could have happened to him. Initially, she obviously kept saying she didn't know, as expected. But slowly, as her frustrations built up, Inspector Raurani expected her to trip up in her details and reveal something. Finally, after days of using these tactics on her, Maria revealed something. A seemingly innocent detail that would wrap this case up in a neat little bow. She told the police that Neeraj had left his phone with her, a detail that we already know. And then she told them that she and Emil had taken a taxi on the 7th, the day that Emil had come over in the morning, to Dadar between 4 and 5pm to go shopping. At the face of it, nothing is wrong with these statements until the police digs further. Now, for cell phone records, remember the Adnan Said case. At least in the 2000s, the phones only pinged a tower when you either made a call that was answered or answered a call yourself or received texts. The moment the police pull up the cell phone records of Neeraj's phone, they realised that of the 130 calls that the Grovers made to their son the day he disappeared, one was answered at around 4.30pm. And the location for that one was in Andheri, not Dadar, which is where Maria claims she was in that time frame. Why was Neeraj's phone in Andheri but Maria shopping in Dadar when Neeraj's phone was supposed to be with Maria? Who answered this call? Why did she not pick up any of the 130 calls that came to Neeraj's phone that day? Why didn't she say anything in that one singular call that she did pick up? After realising this detail, the police continue to look over Neeraj's cell phone records and realise that his phone's last known location was in Dahisar. The phone was pinged in Dahisar because of a text that Neeraj had received from a freelance artist. What was in Dahisar? How did Neeraj's phone reach there? They all wondered. From Maria's cell phone records, the police also realised that between May 7th, the day that Neeraj disappeared, and May 20th, Emil and Maria had talked on the phone almost 1,000 times. That amounts to 76 calls a day. 
a bunch of this was hugely suspicious to the police and so they decided that inspector rao rane would be casually chatting with maria when another inspector will come into the room and pretend as if he's just now discovered that neeraj's phone was located in andheri a completely different location from dadar which is where maria says she was when the police enacted their plan maria revealed that she was actually in andheri before going to dadar because she and meel had gone to a friend's house a friend named kiran shreyan to borrow his car so they could go shopping ah uh, but in that ploy employed by the inspector she said that she had taken a taxi to go to dadar and unless emil is an aspiring cab driver that makes no sense <laughs> right exactly the first time she told police the story she said that she took a taxi now she says she stopped by a friend's place in andheri to get his car and then took the car to go shopping and then around the next day she says that she misremembered which friend it was that she took the car from she says it wasn't her friend kiran shreyan she initially thought it was it was actually amil's navy course mate lieutenant jitesh saini's car when maria's building watchman was interrogated he claimed to have seen this new car that didn't belong to maria it was a blue gray santro Not only did he see Maria and Emil driving the car, he also saw them stuffing the trunk of the car with huge plastic bags that were so heavy that they both struggled to put them inside. But when the police called Emil's navy course mate Jitesh Saini to ask if he had indeed given his car to the couple, Jitesh Saini said no. He did not give his car to them. Ah, so they probably borrowed the car from some other friend that they're forgetting, right? It was back to Kiran. Yeah, back to Kiran. Back, back to, to friend Kiran. number one. I think yeah, I think it might have one. been it might have been the security guard's car that they borrowed. <laughs> it was Emil's car. He just forgot it was his car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Emil <laughs> gifted the car to her. He came to Mumbai to gift a car. How do you tie yourself in such? Um, immac- stupid, lies. stupid lies. Like it's a it's a very intricate web of lies. It's just a, the intricacy is worth nothing. You'll realize how these lies originated and what led to them. Specifically, the scar lies. Incredibly interesting. We'll get to it. Now the police knew Aryan. Just as weird as this is to you, it was to the police too. They knew that this weird car detail slip up between the taxi and whose car it was was their one shot at making Maria talk, and so they clung on to it. So Maria tell me did you really go shopping with a meal in a taxi to the other asked inspector rao rane she tells the police she did take a taxi but only to her friend's house and that she was deeply confused about which friend she took it from and it was actually her initial friend kiran not the course mate and so the police call in kiran for questioning according to the book death in mumbai this is how kiran describes his interrogation which he thought was going to last maybe 15 to 20 minutes and ended up lasting 4 hours quote that evening eight policemen asked me the same set of questions again and again your name father's name what do you do and i kept saying sir is there anything i should be worried about please tell me what has happened and they would turn around and say why don't you tell us what has happened she is after all your friend Finally at 1:30 or 1:40 a.m. they said you can go home but leave your car behind behave with maria as if you haven't spoken to us at all but i was so hassled that the minute i got home i called her and told her that the crime branch had called me what have you done maria i asked her did you do anything in my car until this point i had no idea what had happened or even who neeraj was 
She kept saying nothing but sounded very stressed and panicky. And she told me that she was very scared. End quote. The police were now sick of the cat and mouse game. They knew Maria knew something and they just needed her to speak. And so the day after Kiran was questioned at 2.30 a.m., six crime branch cops arrived at Maria's flat. I looked at her and I said, Come on, Maria, we have to go, said Inspector Raurani. She hugged her mother before leaving her house and got into the police jeep where she immediately started crying and broke down. Quote, Neeraj is no more. Emil killed him and burnt his body, she said from under her tears. Inside the police station, Maria tells the tale of jealousy, anger and a love triangle gone horribly wrong. She tells the tale of three clashing personalities that mixed to lead to murder. She tells the police that Emil was a man easily angered and jealous. The fact that she was an actress had more male friends than female friends and that she kept mentioning Neeraj in their conversations angered him. On the 6th of May, when Neeraj was over at Maria's house, Maria received a call from Emil, who was still in Kochi. On this call, Emil heard Neeraj's voice in the background at 11pm and asked Maria what he was doing there so late in the night. Maria said he was just there helping her settle in. As they were talking, Maria's phone battery almost died and she asked Emil to call on Neeraj's phone instead. When Emil called on Neeraj's phone and Maria picked up, Neeraj screamed in the background. He wants to know what I'm doing here. What kind of a fiancé is he when his girlfriend needs another man to be with her? These words were enough to enrage Emil. Back in Kochi, Emil's roommate, Lieutenant Vasant Kumar, came back from a party at 11.30pm to find Emil agitated in the room after talking to Maria. He demanded the keys to my motorcycle, saying that he had to leave for the airport and that he would bring the bike back upon his return. Now, officers on their bases weren't allowed to just leave whenever they wished to. They weren't allowed to miss their daily orders of business. And if Emil left, he wouldn't have made it back in time. And so Lieutenant Vasant Kumar reminded Emil of that. He asked him not to leave, but Emil was irreconcilable. It's a matter of life and death. My ticket has been bought, he said. I could see Emil was shaking even as he spoke to me, asking for my keys. Convinced that Emil would have an accident if he drove in this agitated state, I offered to drop him to the airport for his flight. End quote. But what is interesting about this ticket, Aryan, that Emil booked to Mumbai is that it was booked half an hour before Maria even called Neeraj over to her apartment. And that day, on the May 6th, Emil and Maria had talked more than 25 times. Clearly, it seemed from multiple angles that the couple had other issues that had prompted Emil to travel to Mumbai like this, risking severe consequences from his seniors in the Navy. Emil left without informing anyone on the base and landed in Mumbai the next morning. Upon arriving at Maria's apartment, he refused to tell the watchman who he was. Why? The prosecution in the case struggled to answer why Emil didn't tell the watchman who he was. Maybe Emil knew what was going to happen up in Maria's apartment and he wanted to conceal his identity the best he could. Getting past security, Emil walked up to Maria's apartment and rang the bell. There was no response. He knocked and rang the bell again. Yet again, no response. He persisted and knocked harder and rang the bell quicker. And a groggy, sleepy Maria arrived at the door, wondering who was so eager to meet her so early in the morning. 
When Maria opened the door to see who was knocking, her heart dropped. She couldn't believe Emil was right in front of her. When she opened the door, before she could even ask what he was doing there, he pushed her aside and walked into the house, straight to the bedroom. Inside the bedroom, he found a pretty much naked Neeraj who was asleep. But from all the commotion, Neeraj woke up, saying, Oh, so this is the fiancé. Soon there ensued a fight between the two men. Somewhere in the middle of it, Emil grabbed a knife from Maria's kitchen and stabbed Neeraj in the abdomen. Maria later claimed that Emil stabbed him with such force that his intestines protruded from his body. My God. The room filled up with blood and splatters were all over Emil and Maria's clothes too. In his fit of rage, before doing anything about the body, by the way, Emil allegedly raped Maria right next to Neeraj's dead body. Once Emil was done, Maria went into the washroom to clean the bloodstains off of herself, but Emil entered the washroom too, proceeding to allegedly rape her again. This is what she will say led to the bite marks all over her body that the police noticed. For hours after that, the couple washed their house together, cleaning the curtains, the bed sheets, and the mattresses. Emil then asked Maria to go to buy new curtains, room fresheners, a better knife, plastic bags, and a duffel bag. He also told Maria to call one of Neeraj's friends and tell them that Neeraj had forgotten his phone at her place. This is how the whole story of Neeraj forgetting his phone at Maria's place began. Maria came home with everything that Emil had asked for. And slowly, Emil began chopping Neeraj's body up into pieces. Now, a lot of sources, almost every source and even very reputable sources, will say that Emil chopped Neeraj's body up into 300 pieces. There is very little evidence for where this number 300 came from and as mentioned by the judge later in the trial, the number is far from accurate. Inspector Rakesh Maria had only ever said that Neeraj's body was cut into several pieces. But several, somehow in the news cycle, turned into 300. Now, as Emil was cutting up the body into pieces, the two realised that they had no way of transporting the body to a final dumping location. Maria had just moved to Mumbai and didn't have a car, and Emil wasn't from Mumbai at all. So, Emil asked Maria to think of a friend whose car they could borrow. This is where Maria remembered Kiran Shreyan and decided to call him. Shreyan admitted to never liking Maria too much, but when Maria called pleading for the car that day, Shreyan agreed, while asking her to get the car back before 9pm. So at around 4pm of the day that Neeraj was killed, the two sat in a taxi and drove to Andheri to pick up the car from Kiran's place. When Maria went to Kiran's door to get the keys, Kiran noticed the marks all over her chest and arms, but said nothing. He simply gave her the keys. Sometime now, Neeraj's parents will call Neeraj's phone, which, for some reason, Maria had in the pocket of her jeans. Listen, Ashwara, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, so that's the preface mm-hmm. of the comment that I'm about to make. But I think the police would have figured this case out one way or the other. With due, had they put in due diligence like the way they have done, eventually mm-hmm. this case would have been figured out, even if some of I the agree. small things couldn't have been covered. But that said... As a criminal, you know, from a criminal standpoint, mm-hmm. not me being the criminal, but from a criminal's point standpoint <laughs> where your objective is obviously to hide the crime, they missed out on some really, really simple things. So the first was the security guard shenanigan, right? If he knew he was going to commit a murder, 
might as well tell your identity or just tell yourself as somebody different but do not stand out to the guard um, which is a problem but then also they could have coherently narrated the scar story because there was a true version we took the cab yeah, there was. and we borrowed the car from that friend so they could have just told the honest version and lastly lastly i think just you should have hidden your scars you should have worn full sleeve mm-hmm. you should have done something made an attempt to not stand out which it doesn't seem like they did which is of course good for the investigators but they just seem like novice criminals which they are they are novice criminals yeah uh-huh. but i don't know, i think this is where in lies the entire discussion about whether or not there is such a thing as perfect crime like my point is even if they did all of the things that you said they would the guard would have still seen exactly the exactly it would have taken more time still, it would have taken more would, time exactly, yeah yeah but exactly. it would have been solved because this is a very but still i'm just exactly. saying you as a Sort they could have been better. The criminal <laughs> wants to give themselves the best shot at not being caught, and they didn't even do right. the basics. Right? No, I agree. They were stupid. They were haphazard. Do not take notes, guys. We are not. These are not. You know. Uh, <laughs> Put your pencils yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. Put your pencils down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can see you all from our microphones. Anyway, so Emil and Maria went over to Kiran's place. Maria walked up to Kiran's door, got the keys from him. Kiran noticed the marks, said nothing. The two got into Kiran's car and started driving back to Maria's apartment. Some time now, Neeraj's parents will call Neeraj's phone, which, like I said, was in Maria's jeans pocket. Maria heard the phone ringing, and while trying to get the phone out of her pocket, she by mistake accepted the call, leading to the one picked-up call out of the one hundred and thirty. The call which helped place Neeraj in Andheri and crack this case. Maria immediately realized her mistake and cut the call without saying a word. The two then drove Kiran's blue-gray Sandro to Maria's apartment, where the building watchman would go on to see it. Here, the couple will bring down plastic bags with parts of Neeraj's body that they will put in the trunk in the back seat. Forensic analysis of the car will go on to reveal splotches of blood at multiple locations. Now, the couple did take the car from Kiran, but they were scared that Kiran wouldn't stand up for them if questioned by the police. and that is why emil asked maria to tell the cops that the car they got was actually not kiran's but emil's coursemates this coursemate jitesh saini had initially agreed to lie for the couple and tell the people that the couple had taken his car but when jitesh realized he wouldn't just have to lie to ordinary people but also to the mumbai crime branch jitesh who was himself a naval officer got scared Firstly he told the couple that there were no calls between them from the day that they had to take the car to show that they actually did take his car there was no proof of communication between them Secondly he said Maria's watchman saw a blue gray Sandro and he didn't own a blue gray Sandro he didn't own a Sandro at all And with that Ritesh refused to lie to the police for the couple forcing them to change their story a third time in front of the police Finally the couple took the body parts to Dadar dumped them in a jungle next to the village of manor doused them in gasoline and lit them all on fire from this location the police would find neeraj's clothes chain a locket his skull his rib cage and more once the police had maria's statement in place they then worked on bringing in emil who was harder to arrest by virtue of his job as a naval officer but finally the police succeeded When Emil was brought in he kept asking to meet Maria just once. He didn't think she would ever rat him out, 
but she had and he would find that out the day the charge sheets were filed. The love between the two soon dissipated and their versions of the story shifted. Emil says he never raped Maria, it was consensual sex. Maria says he did. Emil says he cut the body on Maria's command. Maria says she went shopping for supplies on Emil's command. They both forgot the romance and began to ardently self-preserve. Three years after the murder of Neeraj Grover, Emil and Maria were convicted by the court. But to the whole country's disappointment, Maria was only charged with destruction of evidence and given three years in prison, found not guilty for murder. Since the trial had lasted a little over three years, Maria was free to walk out of the prison the day the trial ended. The minute she walked out, she and her lawyers held a press conference. This press conference didn't feature an apology or remorse. In this press conference, Maria's lawyer will hold up a picture of Neera's burnt bones and remains, saying, quote, Where are the 300 pieces? I can only see five or six. End quote. Emile Jerome was convicted of culpable homicide not amounting to murder and sentenced to just 10 years in prison for his crime being one of passion, not one of premeditation. For those of you interested in a little extra appalling piece of information in this case, Maria Suzeraj was actually arrested again just a few years ago, this time for defrauding people out of crores and crores of rupees. While certainly a lighter crime than cold-blooded murder, reform seems far away for her. Neeraj has now been gone for 15 years. His death marked the end of not just the Grover family that wished to move to Mumbai, watch their son succeed and rejoice in his happiness. His death also marked the end of the once proud Matthew family and the once peaceful Suzeraj family. Generations that will carry these names have been tainted with a gruesome crime, committed for frivolous reasons. For what? Like always, supposedly for love.